Good morning, everybody. Hello there. Hiya. I wonder if you know why your parents gave you the name that they did. Perhaps your name was one of those that was popular at the time you were born, or maybe your name is that of someone your parents admired, you know, Elvis Presley, Bobby Moore, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> or it may be biblical, you know, Ruth, Sarah, Potiphar. <laughs> well, names are important. If I go on, I'm bound to offend somebody. Um, names are important because we live with them for a long time, don't we? And uh, names were certainly important to Joseph, as that passage just reflected. He and his wife, Asenath, had two sons to name. Each of the names that they chose carries a fragment of Joseph's own life story and a spirit of thankfulness to God. So the first one, Manasseh, he called, because God let me forget all my trouble. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could just by choosing a name or in that way be allowed to forget our troubles. But the second, Ephraim, was because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So one name tells us that God helped him put his past behind him and the other that he had been fruitful for God. And I want to make that second name, Ephraim, the centerpiece of my message this morning because I absolutely love those words. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And the reason I love them is because, to me, those words encapsulate Joseph's story fully but simply. You know, we're in the middle of our sermon series about Joseph. And we've experienced, we've gone through his suffering. And now we see him bearing fruit. It encapsulates his story in that name. But also in those words, fruitful in a land of suffering, there's a tension that mirrors the human struggle throughout history. Fruitfulness and suffering are both possible in a single life. And the third reason I love those words is because it helps us focus on God. Because God is the actor in that short sentence. And it's God we're here for this morning, apart from obviously hot coffee and nice neighbours. Ephraim had a lifetime's reminder of those things captured in his old name. Ephraim, um, have it on reliable authority, is actually an extension of the Hebrew verb, ferah, to make fruitful. Now we have a reminder too in the Psalms that there is a God who knows us and knows our name. Perhaps you know that psalm, wonderful psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. That knowledge that God has of each one of us. I think that's one of the reasons I've enjoyed looking at some of Josh's work over the last couple of days with CSW. Because in those photographs of which you received uh, just a short glimpse earlier, numbers become names. Different races and cultures take on faces and the hidden remove their masks. And people that are so removed from our daily experience here in Claygate suddenly are people that we meet, as it were, face to face. 
And we begin to get a glimpse of how God sees those people as individuals with needs, characteristics, a uniqueness to love. And if you look through more of Josh's work in the coffee break at the end of the service, then you'll meet, for example, Leah, resilient and strong child in a foreign land, displaced, rebuilding hope. Solomon, waiting for news of asylum that won't come and living in a permanent waiting room. Harry, tortured for reading the Bible but refusing to disown his faith. Now a brave escapee from Eritrea. And the one that concerns us, no face for this one, as through the pages of the Bible we meet, Ephraim, because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So how do those words of fruitfulness, suffering, and an active God reflect Joseph's life? Well, let's open up a bit of their meaning. But before we do that, let's just say a short prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows us by name, who knows our hardships and desires nothing more than we are fruitful within your great plan for us. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn first to this idea of fruitfulness in Joseph's life. Well, our sermon series on Joseph has tracked him from being a 17-year-old lad, a shepherd in Canaan alongside his brothers, to seeing him now as the most powerful man in ancient Egypt, acting with all of Pharaoh's delegated authority. He has all the trappings of power and status. We heard fine linen robes, gold chain chariot. People shouted before him, make way. And later, a wife and two sons. So someone who has been blessed in loads and loads of ways. Well, the closest I ever got to that was at the age of 24, being given a customer list, £3,000 a year, an Austin Montego, and a mandate to sweep all before me in the car dealerships of Lowestoft, Norwich, Bury St Edmunds and Saxmundham. And though I say it myself, I was not entirely unsuccessful, although to describe it as fruitful on a biblical scale would probably be pushing it, but my influence was low, you'll have gathered. But what does Joseph do with all of his power and influence granted by Pharaoh? Well, You know, he uses it for the good of others. But how? Well, last week we heard how he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams as a prophecy of seven years of plenty. And uh, in today's reading that he used the power granted to him to uh, turn the surplus from those seven years, uh, the grain that was surplus from those seven years, into storehouses for the seven years of famine that followed. That was one example of his fruitfulness. But in doing so, he does God's work. He becomes, in the old promise to Abraham, a blessing to others. So we can conclude, as a result of his good judgment and direction from God, families were fed and the hungry were nourished. So he's doing God's work. And he does God's work, not just within the borders of Egypt but across the Middle East, for the world came to Egypt. So Joseph's life was fruitful in that 
His generosity was borderless. His compassion provided for all. And his actions were godly. They stemmed from being God's appointed leader in Egypt to using God-given gifts of dream interpretation. How the world could ache for those characteristics of borderless compassion now. Because we live in a world where power and influence is not always used for the common good by any stretch. Will the power that comes from the election to the office of US president, how will that be used? How can the abuse of power in Eritrea continue? How can political power in Syria be turned against its own people with such heartbreaking results? How can fruit come from suffering like that? We don't know. But on an individual level, when we found ourselves in a position of influence, how have we used that? Have we used it for the good of all? Joseph led a fruitful life. But we've also seen in this sermon series that his rise was not that of someone born with a silver spoon in their mouth, far from it. He had been a victim of violence in the family. He had been trafficked into Egypt as a slave, powerless, by Midianite traders, sold by his brothers. He'd been tempted, manipulated, and falsely accused by his master's wife. He'd suffered a long-term unjust imprisonment, and he had his good deeds ignored, forgotten about, and left to rot in prison. Joseph's fruitfulness was in spite of his suffering and through his suffering. And he was fruitful in those tough times because God made him so. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. For example, in his ability to resist temptation, Joseph, how could I sin against God, he said. He knew God as judge and guide. In his interpretation of dreams, do not these interpretations belong to God, he said. He knew God as the source of his vision. In his imprisonment, left alone by the warden because God was with Joseph and gave him success in all he did, we're told. He knew God as one who didn't abandon him. And Pharaoh saw all this and said, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? For Joseph knew God as a present and active spirit. Joseph was fruitful, he suffered, and God was faithful. On your sermon handout this week, uh, which is in the newsletter that you received on the way in, you'll see this little buff sheet. It's called Opening Up the Storehouses of God. And in that, I've encouraged or at least given us the opportunity to reflect, you know, in private at home in a minute that we might get during the week, just to think about some of our own experiences of life for our own reflection and prayer. And I've asked three questions there. What fruitfulness have you experienced? 
What suffering have you known or are you knowing? And how has God been active in some way in both of those times? That's something to do if it helps you during the week. And to help us do that, I'd just like to explore for a moment what we might consider as a fruitful life. And it doesn't matter, in a sense, uh, whether we're starting with zero or uh, a different faith or a confirmed faith. Let's explore briefly this subject of fruitfulness. Well, you know, one measure of fruitfulness these days might be how much money is in the bank, what's our house like, where the next holiday Maybe And all of those things are very important and nice, of course, they are, insofar as they make life fun, comfortable, relaxing. I can't help you get that type of fruit. But whether our last holiday has been in Mustique or Morecambe is not really the whole story. It won't really be for that that we're remembered. A quick story. I was, on Friday night, just passed at a 40-year-old, uh, sorry, a 40-year school reunion. I, in other words, 40 years since I've left school, uh, on Friday night in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And it, as you can imagine, it was something that most of us were slightly dreading, literally seeing a large number of people that we hadn't seen for 40 years. And what ensued was a series of very short conversations about our lives and the events of those years compressed into two-minute narratives which kind of I was feeling did neither justice to our highs nor our lows, the insights that we gained along the way or the questions that we still had. So after a while, as my school peers were sharing their stories, after a while they kind of blurred into one. The painters and decorators sounded pretty much like the merchant bankers and so forth. You see, what we've become, what shaped us, is richer than a two-minute soundbite and it can't be captured that way. But the next day, you know, yesterday, I visited some closer friends uh, who I also had not seen for a very long time, one of whom had lost her husband last year at 58, who was a lifelong police constable in Northumberland. And as we talked about him over the whole day, his life, we shared our detailed memories, our recollections were what they should be. They became technicolor. The fruit of a life came into focus. My point, you know, is that with Joseph, long after the gold chains had faded, the chariots rotted away in a corner. What we have left of Joseph's life is a biblical history of a man shaped by God through good and hard times. And his story is important because of the part that God played in shaping him. And that is where we see the fruit. The fruit that God created in a life. Now, however we might look at fruitfulness these days, in Joseph's time, in Old Testament times, so way back, right at the beginning of the Bible, fruitfulness tended to be described in line with God's uh, promises to Abraham and his descendants. So what's called the covenant. So fruitfulness in those very ancient times was all about having lots and lots of descendants and growing in land and prosperity. 
So to Jewish ears of the time, Joseph's taking on of wife and family and being prospered by God would have been regarded certainly as a life hugely blessed by God. But the New Testament changed that. How? Because Jesus began to describe fruitfulness as something that happens, something we get when we're connected to him. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And when the Spirit of God works on us, then we bear the fruit of the Spirit. We know also the passage from Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't that the type of fruitfulness that we would want? How we would like to be remembered as one that God work through in that kind of way. What I think, though, that we have to include, and this is where fruitfulness gets uncomfortable, is the possibility that, like Joseph, fruit in our lives may come, in part at least, from a place of suffering. That when we faced particular hardships, loss, unwelcome change, health problems, relationship difficulties then sometimes we discover that through those times, and sometimes only after a long time, we somehow grow by God's grace in resilience, in perspective, and in character. Now that doesn't make suffering always purposeful, although it can have that impact over time. But I think it does mean that suffering is a place from which we can reach out to the divine, to God, and seek that connectedness of which Jesus spoke, and that his spirit may work in us at those times. So just to end. As someone who came to Christian faith, as I did, relatively later in life, there were a few things that I always recall that have brought me to that point. First, the attraction of a story of God that we read in the Bible and know for ourselves, who is not benign and distant, but is involved in the grit and gristle of everyday life, as he was with Joseph. That's one thing. God is with us, not apart from us. Second, the story of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension that bore fruit for me, for all people, in the hope that it offers us. Not of an easy life here and now, not of mystique, but a just and fair hope in eternity. And the third reason is probably because I read a story which is not one of control, but one of suffering. Of a victory given to me, hard won by him, who holds out to us, with outstretched arm, the fruit of his 
suffering.